Take your Bible and turn to the book of Acts chapter 11. The book of Acts and chapter 11. There are two extremes where God tells us to do something and you can say, I will. That's an extreme. I won't. That's an extreme. I am called an extremist because I believe that what God says is right. And I want to do it. I want to do whatever it is God wants me to do. Does that make me a fanatic? Well, it might. There's people that do not like independent, fundamental, Bible-believing, missionary-minded Christians. But that's what I am. And probably that's what you are. Now, you know, in the book of Romans in chapter 6, it talks about the newness of life. It talks about, you know, yielding yourselves unto the Lord. And that we should not serve sin, and we shall live with him, and... Uh, he liveth unto God, and so there's some good statements in the sixth chapter. We call that the identification truths, because when Christ came back from the dead, we're supposed to identify with what he did. I was with him when he was crucified. I was with him when he was buried and came back from the dead, and I'm supposed to have been with him when he rose and when he was seated in the heavenlies. That's how secure we are, because we are in Christ, and that's where he is. Now, here, I want you to look at this verse in the book of Acts chapter 11. And notice there in verse 26. When he had found him, he brought him unto Antioch. And it came to pass that a whole year they assembled themselves with the church and taught much people. And the disciples were called Christians first in Antioch. Now, from what I have been told, the word Christian was not something that they put upon themselves. It was a people that were on the outside that put the name Christian upon those that were living, walking, talking like Christ. So it was a name they gave to them. And it might have been as a, a slur, a slander. Well, see, to be a disciple means a follower, a learner. And so there were those who followed the teachings of Christ, and so the others called them Christians. And it was mainly because they were the ones of the Christ way, the way of Christ. And he says, and they were first called Christians in Antioch. At least they were called Christians. Now, I just had a little question about a few things that I wrote down. What is the sign of an unfed Christian? Well, that's somebody who won't eat. They starve themselves. Jeremiah chapter 15 verse 16 talks about the word of God. And he says, and I did eat them. So a Christian, a believer is supposed to feed upon the word of God so that he can become a strong Christian. Otherwise, you will be like somebody who just doesn't eat. And if you don't eat, you're going to get weak and you're not going to be strong. But you won't know why you're not strong spiritually. You'll just lose your desire for spiritual things. When you lose your desire for spiritual things, after a while, so you just don't have the desire to read the Bible. You don't have the desire to meet with other Christians. You don't have the desire to witness. You don't have a desire to study God's word or go to church, you lose the desire. Feeding upon the word of God, see, feeds the desire. And the desire can become stronger. 
And then when they become stronger, you can do a lot of things because of the desire to do something. And when there's no desire there, it's, uh, you're, you're kind of weak. So therefore, you and I are supposed to serve the Lord because we feed upon the Word of God. I don't want you to get tired of hearing the Word of God. When you get tired of hearing the Word of God, the Bible talks about in the book of Hebrews in chapter 5, it talks about they become dull of hearing. For when the time they ought to be teachers, they have one a need that someone teach them again, which would be the first principles of the oracles of God. And they cannot eat meat. They have to be fed milk because they're unskillful in the word of righteousness. But you see, you and I are supposed to get stronger in the Lord. And the way you know that you're getting stronger in the Lord is because you're able to discern right from wrong. It's the exercise of the senses to discern. And you lose your discernment when you don't eat right. So there's Christians who just don't eat right. And they don't eat regular. I want you to take your Bible and turn to the book of Matthew chapter 21. Matthew and chapter 21. I want you to think about this as though Christ was talking to you. I want you to ask yourself, which one of these sons represents me? Which of these am I? See what he says in verse 28. But what think ye? A certain man had two sons. He came to the first and he said, son, go work today in my vineyard. Have you ever seen lazy people? People that are just plain lazy. They don't want to do anything. They're just lazy. Now, when you read the book of Psalms, and it also has it in Proverbs, but God hates laziness. And there's a lot of lazy people. Well, can you be a Christian and spiritually be lazy? Oh, you're saved, you're going to heaven, but you're just a lazy Christian. You don't want to do anything. You don't want to get involved. You don't want to help. You just stand on the sideline and criticize everybody else and what they're doing. You can tell everything that everybody else is doing wrong, but you never get in the fight yourself. You see, if somebody works with the, um, the music, you might be able to find flaw, but at least there's somebody in the choir to be criticized. You can find fault with the preacher. I don't know how, but you could. <laughs> you can find fault all the time with everybody doing anything, but what do you do? But if you're not doing anything, don't do the devil's work if you're not going to do the Lord's work. But there's some people that are spiritually Lazy. They never get involved. They don't want to make nobody mad. It means they don't want to get hurt. They don't want anybody to say anything or correct them because they might not be able to do it perfectly. So if I can't do it perfectly, I'm not going to do it at all. Nobody is perfect. You have to be perfect to do perfect things. Nobody here like that. We're a bunch of sinners. And hopefully we love the Lord and we want to do something. And it takes work. But there's sometimes people don't want to work. What do you do when people like that don't want to work? Let them alone. You work with those who want to work. The ones that don't work, don't work. The ones that do, do. And you just go ahead with all those that want to do something and those that don't, let them alone. They're not ready yet. When they're ready, we're ready. But if they're not ready, the last thing you want to do is try to make somebody do something they don't want to do. Think about it. True? Because then it's like pulling teeth. 
And that's what wears you out. This is what causes people in the Lord's work to get worn out and burn out because they're trying to make people do things and they don't want to do it. I stopped that long time ago. I work with those who want to work. And those that don't want to work, I let them go. I let them do whatever they want to do. I don't have time to argue or fight with anybody. Now, people say, well, that's not a good attitude to have. It most certainly is. It keeps my sanity. keeps me working. And that way I don't quit because I don't get burnout, out. And I can keep doing the things that God wants me to do. So you don't look and focus on all those that don't. You focus upon those that do. Look what he says here. He says in verse 29, he answered and says, I will not. But afterwards he repented, changed his mind, and he went. He came to the second, and he said, likewise. And he answered, and he says, I go, sir. And he went not. Which of the two did the will of his father? Well, the one that went. Now, here you are. Here I am. God has asked us to serve him. So my desire to serve him is going to be because I have fed upon the word of God and I know what his will is. So you should know what the will of God is and the desire to fulfill the will of God because you want to please the Lord. And then you have to make a decision. Will I? Won't I? And they're both extreme positions. The one that does, that's an extreme position. The one that won't, that is an extreme position. But it's a decision Everybody has to make for themselves. No one can make it for you. I knew years ago that if I determined I will serve the Lord, I knew God would use me. You should believe that if you dedicate yourself to the Lord, God will use you. Do you believe that? Do you want God to use you? If you do, then you'll have to make up your mind. You can't be a lazy Christian because God calls it the Lord's work. And he told him, says, son, go work today in my vineyard. We should always be striving to, whether it's soul winning or challenging others to serve the Lord by whatever you do, go and work in the Lord's vineyard. Take your Bible and turn to 2 Corinthians and chapter 6. 2 Corinthians and chapter 6. What is the sign of a worldly Christian? Can a Christian be a worldly Christian where he is worldly minded, fleshly minded, carnally minded? A Christian who minds the things of the flesh, a Christian who minds the things of the world. He's saved, but he minds the wrong things. And the reason is because uh, he just will not separate himself from the world. Think for a moment. Do you believe God wants you to look, act, talk, think like a lost man? To live like the world would live? Or do you believe that perhaps God wants something different from you? Remember when he says, my ways are not your ways, my thoughts are not your thoughts, because his ways and his thoughts are higher than ours. The reason you and I study the Word of God is to know the thoughts that are higher than man's. So that we can live on ways that are higher than man's. So that you and I live on a different level, a different plane. Uh, look what he says here in verse 14. And remember, 
as a child of God, if you want to serve the Lord and do the Lord's work, you have to separate yourself from those who won't do the Lord's work. You see, if you have friends that are not right with the Lord, water seeks its own level. You don't pull them up. Chances are they will pull you down to where they are. I never had to worry about losing any of my friends when I served the Lord. Because I decided I'm going to serve the Lord. And they, they gave me up. I didn't have to give them up. They gave me up. I had a couple good friends. I didn't have a lot of them, but I had a few. And it wasn't long before, hello, <laughs> they, they left me. Because every time I got around them, I, I, I preached to them. And they didn't want to be preached to. See there in verse 14, be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness? What communion hath light with darkness? How do they get along? Can light and darkness get along? Hello, darkness. Well, hello, light. How are you doing? I'm doing fine. They expel each other. And God says the same thing. The unbeliever, well, he doesn't think like you. He doesn't have the Holy Spirit. He's not going to love the things that you love. So therefore, you have to separate yourself. But a lot of God's people, they just don't do it. And because they don't, then the world makes you like them. That's why he made the statement, see, in the book of Romans in chapter 12. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Be not conformed to this world. God does not want his children conforming to the world. That means he wants you to be different from the world, to think different from the world, live different from the world. Because I have a body and the lost man has a body. There's a lot of similarities of things that we have to have. We both have to work. We got to clothe our body. We got to feed our body and all these things. But I'm to live for something different than what he lives for. There's things that I don't want to do because I know that it's not acceptable to God. I may say, I, I can do it. It won't hurt me. Yeah, but does God accept it or is it not the best thing for my testimony? So because of your care about others, you may not do something. But the lost man, he don't care about that. Or a carnal Christian, well, he don't care about that. He just does what he wants to do, lives any way he wants to because he don't care about anybody else. That's a fleshly-minded, carnal Christian, worldly Christian. And it says here in verse 16, What agreement hath the temple of God with idols? For you are the temple of the living God. As God had said, I will dwell in them, walk in them. I will be their God. They shall be my people. Wherefore, he says in verse 17, Come out from among them and be ye separate. Now, sometimes there's people who trust Christ as Savior, and they go to a Catholic church, a Jehovah's Witness, or Mormons, or whatever. They, they say, well, I'm going to stay there and change them. That's not what the Word of God tells the word of God says, come out from among them, mark them which teach doctrines contrary to what you have learned and avoid them because you won't get strong. And you do not want to use your power of influence to get other people underneath the sounds of a false doctrine. You don't put live chickens under a dead hen. In verse 17, be ye Separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing. I will receive you. Be separate. Don't be a fence straddler. Don't be a compromiser. Make up your mind. And God says, hey, me and you can get along like a father and a son. 
And we can walk together, talk together. He said, I want you to walk with me. I want you to talk with me. I want us to have communion. I want us to have fellowship together. But he says, if you love the world, then you're an enemy of God. And you can't have it both ways. Uh, let's look at the first verse of the seventh chapter. Having therefore these promises, dare to be loved. Let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. So this is what God wants us to do. Now, you may not do it, but it's still the will of God that we do so. Now, John chapter 11. Look in John chapter 11. You know the story about Lazarus, how that he was dead four days. And the Bible talks about how that Mary and Martha had met him and he talked to him, and he says, um, I am the resurrection and the life. And she said, yeah, we know that. You know, in the resurrection, we know, we know that. He said, you don't understand. I am the resurrection. I can do it now, is what he's saying. So he says up here in verse 25, Jesus said unto her, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. And you ought to underline these words. Believest thou this? In other words, he's saying, do you believe this? This is what you have to believe. You must know and believe that if you believe on him, you will live forever. You will have everlasting life. Even though you may die physically, you will live forever. She says in verse 27, Lord I believe that thou art the Christ, the Son of God, which should come into the world. Well, it goes down through here, and then she weeps, and down in verse 33, and when Jesus therefore saw her weeping, and the Jews also weeping, which came with her, he groaned in the spirit and was troubled. He said, where have you laid him? Now, I actually believe he knew where he was. He knew he was dead. He knew this. But where did you lay him? Well, he's been dead for four days. He stinks. He's in the cave. I mean, he's all been wrapped up and embalmed. I mean, he's put away. And they said, come and see. In verse 35, Jesus wept. Now, there's always theological discussions about why did he weep? Why did Jesus weep? Well, because, you know, he, he loved Lazarus, and Lazarus is dead, and he's not ever going to see him again. You don't think that's why he wept? No. Maybe he was crying because of their unbelief. I wonder if it could be because he knew that they did not believe that he could do it now. He says in verse 37, And some of them said, Could not this man which opened the eyes of the blind, have caused that even this man should not have died. If he is who he claims to be, and he can do what he claims he can do, why did he let his friend die? If you had been here, this would not have happened. It all happened because you were not here. You're talking about mixed emotions. He says, take away the stone. Down in verse 39, Martha, the sister of him that was dead, said unto him, Lord, by this time he stinks, for he hath been dead four days. 
Jesus said unto her, Say it, I not unto thee, that if thou wouldest. Now, you think this might be why Jesus wept? Because he said, I said to you, didn't you believe me? Don't you believe me? I think it dealt more with the fact of their unbelief. I think unbelief breaks his heart more than anything else. But he says, said I not unto thee that if thou wouldest believe, thou shouldest see the glory of God. I'm going to show you something. Then they took away the stone from the place where the dead man was laid. And Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank thee that thou hast heard me. And I knew that thou hearest me always. But because of the people which stand by, I said it, that they may believe that thou hast sent me. See, they didn't believe. What he said and what he was doing was because he knew they did not believe certain things. And then he says in verse 43, And when he thus had spoken, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. Now, if he hadn't have said Lazarus and he just said come forth, probably everybody in the graves would have come out. So he had to be specific and just Lazarus, come forth. And then he says in verse 44, And he that was dead came forth, bound hand and foot with grave clothes. He was bound his feet were bound. He had to hop. Here he comes. He's hopping out of the, the tomb. Now, Jesus did what Jesus can do, but he let the people do what they can do. And he said this to him. He says, loose him and let him go. Now, you know, there's a lot of God's children that have trusted Christ as Savior. They've been given eternal life. They are alive, but still wearing their grave clothes. They're still bound, head and foot, with the things of this world, and they're trapped. And they don't have the freedom to serve the Lord like they should. And so once you trust Christ as Savior, you got to get rid of the grave clothes. The things from the old man. Put off the old man. Put on the new man. And live like a free man. Learn the Word of God, love the Word of God, and do what God's Word says, and you'll be surprised that you can live, believe it or not, a, a separated life. But you have to keep yourself free from the things that will entangle you. The other thing I wanted to mention to you is there's many of God's children that are just plain, timid Christians. The book of Joshua and the book of Ephesians. Go hand in hand. Because it's talking about the victory that you and I ought to have in the Lord. And it says, as I was with Moses, so shall I be with you. Be strong and very courageous. And it says, and meditate in God's word day and night that thou mayest observe to do all that I have spoken unto you. Only be thou strong and very courageous. But there's so many of God's people that are not strong. They're not courageous. They're afraid. They live in fear. And when they get to heaven, they're going to find out what they could have done if they only had believed God and just trusted him. So a lot of people, they're timid. They're shy. There's others of God's people that live a totally defeated Christian life. And so they just will not trust the Lord. 
Now remember in the book of Isaiah in chapter 26, verse 3 and 4, where it says, Trust ye in the Lord forever, for in the Lord Jehovah is everlasting strength. Uh, it's a tremendous verse that I learned when I was in Bible college. And just over and over again, trust in the Lord Jehovah. For in the Lord Jehovah is everlasting strength. Because, see, the verse that's right before that made the statement, Thou will keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed upon thee. So a Christian that feeds upon the word of God, works for the Lord, has a right to a peace of mind. And if you don't do that, you're not going to have a peace of mind. You're going to be troubled, all the time troubled, because you're going to be weak and timid. You're anemic. You don't have strength. And therefore, fear will grip you. And you're going to find yourself in so much despair and disappointment and just down and discouraged all the time. And God's people don't have to do that. And then the last thing, just to make you understand, a lot of Christians don't have victory, but you can. That's why Paul says, I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. Do you believe it? You see, after you trust Christ as Savior, your whole Christian life is based upon one one word, really, belief. That's how you got saved. You believed. You live the same way. As you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in him. How did you receive him? By faith. How do you live? By faith. Taking God at his word. So not to believe the Lord is going to cost you. And you're not going to be strong. So you feed upon the word of God, you become a strong Christian, and you work for the Lord, and you learn how to yield, you learn how to separate. You have to learn how to discipline your own Christian life. Nobody else can do it for you. You will be as strong of a Christian you choose to be. Do you understand what I'm saying? You will be as strong as you want to be. You will be as weak as you choose to be. It's all in your hands. It's a decision. I will, I won't. A lot of difference between I will and I won't. God says, will you do this for me? I will, I won't. What is your decision?